Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Blackmail to Murder, Mark Banning, P.I. Series, Book 3, written by Stephen L. Brooks. A routine infidelity case turns deadly. Ryan Morgan, a married man, comes to Banning in a panic. He is being blackmailed with incriminating photos of Ryan with an attractive co-worker. To Banning, with years of experience as a private eye, there is nothing unusual about that. What is unusual is that the photos show the pair in places where they have never been. Hooked by the questions the photos raise and the challenge the case presents, Banning and his assistant Betsy begin investigating. Clues soon suggest the photos may have been sent from the home of Paul Reynolds, Ryan Morgan's business partner, and his wife, Ellen. But when Betsy arrives at the Morgan residence, she finds someone has beat her there, and Ellen Morgan has been shot dead. What Mark Banning wants to know is did his client, his client's wife, or the other woman, decide Ellen Reynolds was the blackmailer, or is something entirely different going on? What Banning doesn't know is that a desperate killer will do anything to stop him from learning the truth. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Blackmail to Murder. Chapter 1 Ryan Morgan, as he had done every morning for over 14 years, stood outside the building housing the firm that he and his business partner, Paul Reynolds, had founded, and even after all this time couldn't believe their success. He had entered the building, rode up to their floor, and entered the double glass doors smiling and calling out, Good morning! to everyone he met, as he did every day. The architectural design firm of Morgan and Reynolds was small, only a score or so of employees, and that included the owners and founders themselves. Ryan and Paul had been friends since college. Ryan had his degree in architecture, and Paul in mechanical engineering. Upon graduation, they had decided to go into business together. That was nearly 15 years ago. Now, with a staff of specialists in plumbing, electrical engineering, landscape architecture, and other associated disciplines, they had grown to a full-service design firm. And with the various construction firms they had on contract, they had designed and built many housing communities and office complexes throughout the state. The entire business took up one whole floor of the building, and they rented the space. If the business ever expanded, and they were in no hurry to do so, they would find a building of their own, but this was plenty room for now, and both partners were content. The main part of the space was divided into cubicles like most other offices, with larger cubes for the supervisors of each section. Paul and Ryan's offices were on the far side of the space, and Ryan enjoyed the walk through the cubes. It reminded him of the old story of Theseus and the Minotaur, in which the hero had to travel through a labyrinth and either avoid or defeat the half-bull, half-man, the Minotaur, in order to survive. He passed one section, and a voice purred at him. Good morning, Ryan, Debbie Ward, tall, coltish, and incredibly hot, with her red hair hanging long and straight to her waist, rose from her desk and came over to him. Good morning, Debbie. How's my favorite interior designer today? She came close, but not too close. Well, maybe a little too close. Oh, I have designs all right, but not about houses. Her smile carried even more meaning than her words. 
Why, somebody might get the wrong idea if you talk like that. But he was smiling, too. Oh? Whatever do you mean? One or two of the other workers smiled, too, at this by-play, which was also a part of nearly every morning. They knew it was only playful, on both their parts. Ryan had been married to Laura for ten years now, and although he was flattered by Debbie's flirting, both knew that was as far as it would go. The staff knew it, too, though it didn't stop them from occasional teasing, which Ryan accepted good-naturedly, as long as it didn't get out of hand. What if Laura heard about it? Ryan said in mock horror. Laura knew of Debbie. The latter was an incorrigible flirt, and Ryan was not her only target, only her most frequent one. Well, if she ever does, remember I'm next in line. No chance of that, Ryan thought. Have a great day, Debbie. He headed toward his office, and Debbie returned to her cubicle. Morning, Ryan. Paul greeted him from his office, which adjoined Morgan's. Paul Reynolds still had the large, muscular bulk of the college running back he had years before when they had met. But Paul, unlike some who had gotten to college via a football scholarship, had the brains, too. A behemoth on the gridiron, he was a dynamo in the classroom as well. He had graduated with honors, and it was all his own doing through hard work and an active mind. And a good morning to you, too, my friend, Ryan replied. Noticing that Paul appeared to be preoccupied, he stepped in. Everything all right? Paul's look was distracted as he replied. Sure, everything's fine. He fiddled with his tablet. Just a headache, I guess. Once I get started, I'll forget about it. Ryan waited a moment before speaking. Okay. Yeah, sometimes work can help get the mind off your troubles. But if it's too much, let me know if I can take any of that load off you. Sure, thanks. Ryan gave him one last glance of concern and went to his own office. The usual stack of paper mail was waiting for him, as the usual virtual stack of emails would be also. Stowing his briefcase out of the way, he decided to tackle the paper mail first. That's where he found the manila envelope. It was quite ordinary, with its typical nondescript color somewhere between tan and dirty yellow, its clasp at one end holding the flap closed. The moisture-activated glue common to all envelopes had been used as well. And as so many did, whoever had sent this had also taped the edges of the flap shut as added security. Someone wanted to make sure no one opened it but him. On the front was a printed label, Mr. Ryan Morgan, Morgan and Reynolds, followed by the address. Oh, and one more word. Personal. As though that word were a talisman against anyone opening it prematurely. No one had, and it sat pristine before him. Yet there was no stamp, no postmark. But perhaps that wasn't so strange. Might have been delivered by messenger service. Even so, you'd think there would be some marking, if only from that delivery service. Well, no matter how well sealed it was, a stroke or two with a letter opener and its contents were accessible. Looking inside, said contents appeared to be three or four sheets of printed glossy paper. Brochures, perhaps, junk mail, pretending to be important. You get it at work as well as at home. Ryan tipped the sheets onto his desk and went pale. The contents were four photos, in which he and Debbie Ward were shown in quite friendly terms. Nothing pornographic or even suggestive by any means, 
and both were fully clothed, except in one, where they were wearing swimsuits. But there were two things wrong with the photos. Although Ryan had permitted the flirtation to go on and was frankly complimented by it, he and Debbie hadn't so much as gone to lunch together, much less anywhere like the places where these photos were taken. In fact, he didn't know about Debbie, but he didn't recognize any of the locations and was certain he had never been to any of them, not even with Laura. The photos were fake. But if Laura saw them, would she believe it? Gail, his office assistant, one didn't say secretary anymore, tapped on his door and he hastily stuffed the photos back in the envelope. Boss? Hmm? Oh, yes, Gail, what is it? Just wanted to remind you of your nine o'clock with Mr. Davis of the Housing Commission? He was to meet Bill Davis at a nearby coffee shop, an informal meeting about routine matters. Thanks, Gail. The clock said it was just after eight. I'll be there. Oh, and Gail? Yes? Did you notice who delivered this envelope or when it came in? He held it up, carefully holding the open end to prevent the pictures from popping out. Gail frowned at it a moment. No, I don't. There wasn't any return address or anything? No, and no note inside either. Guess it was delivered by courier after hours. I suppose so. I remember seeing it when I was putting your mail in your inbox, but I didn't really take any notice of it. Was it important? No, just some brochures. He lied. Junk mail. Yeah, we all get plenty of that, Gail said with a chuckle. You want me to shred it for you? He almost handed it to her to do just that. No, to tell the truth, he lied again. I found them amusing. Think I'll show them to Davis. He might get a kick out of them, too. Okay. Anything else, boss? No, I'll plow through some of this until 8.30 or so, then go to see Davis. All right, hope your meeting goes well. Thanks. As he placed the envelope in his briefcase, Ryan remembered that Bill Davis had once hired a private detective. Maybe during the meeting he could ask, in some subtle way, of course, the name of the P.I. He'd rather go that route first than to call the police. The coffee shop was part of what is now known as a strip mall, once known as a shopping center. It was warm out, and several people were enjoying their coffees and other drinks at the dozen or so tables scattered over the wide plaza. Bill Davis appeared middle age. His paunch, the extra jowl or two, and vanishing hair added to the effect. In truth, he wasn't quite forty. That's what working as a civil servant can do to some. The meeting had gone smoothly, and Ryan and Bill were just killing time with small talk over their second lattes. Ryan knew it was now or never. Bill, I seem to remember a couple of years ago you had trouble of some kind and had to call in a private eye. Bill nodded, his jowls folding and unfolding as he did. Yes, it was a family matter I didn't want made public. I decided on a P.I. because I don't think the police are known for their discretion. What was his name, do you remember? Why? You thinking of hiring one yourself? Ryan shrugged. I saw some old private eye movie last night and thought of you, that's all. Uh-huh. Ryan knew Bill wasn't buying it, not even borrowing it. If you don't want to tell me, that's fine. It was just curiosity. Liar, liar, pants on fire. A child's voice in his head taunted him with the old rhyming tease. Well, I guess it can't do any harm. His name was Banning, and he has an office on Bel Air Road in Perry Hall. Banning, huh? 
Perry Hall was a town in Baltimore County. Ryan knew it well, having grown up near there. In fact, it was sort of midway between his house and Paul's. He looked at his watch. Hey, I'd better get going. Finishing his coffee at a gulp and stuffing the papers they had reviewed into his briefcase, he rose. Well, Bill, it's been good seeing you again. Maybe next time we can just do lunch. No business, just a pleasant lunch. Bill had also risen. Sounds good to me. Just name the time and place. They shook hands and parted ways. As Ryan crossed the plaza, he made a call on his cell. Gail? Me. Something came up and I'll be out of the office for a while longer. No, I don't know how long. Let Paul know for me, will you? Thanks. Ryan walked back to his office building but didn't go inside. Instead, he skirted around it to the parking lot in back and got in his car. He had already Googled Banning's name and Bel Air Road on his phone and gotten the address, which he entered into his GPS. Hope it works right this time, he thought, remembering when he had used it to find a funeral parlor across town where a friend's final services were being held. It was out in the country, and he had followed the GPS's voice directions and ended up in the middle of a cornfield. You have reached your destination, the annoyingly pleasant female robo-voice had said. There wasn't a funeral parlor in sight. Fortunately, he eventually had found it by retracing his path. This time, the device didn't fail him. He saw the modest brick building, probably a converted house, and the sign with Mark Banning's name. It wasn't exactly the most luxuriant office he had ever seen, but that meant little, if Banning could find the answer to this riddle. Ryan found a place to park, picked up his briefcase, and entered. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Blackmail to Murder. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.